good afternoon, Wisconsin. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner, 1209. So I have a request. If you are driving anywhere in southeast Wisconsin right now and you're listening to the sound of my voice, slow down. You know, and I don't even know how fast you're going. We've been getting texts at WTMJ for, ooh, the last half hour or so. The road conditions, black ice, icy glaze. You just cannot trust what's under your tires right now. So please be careful. People who don't heed that. I had a friend in radio. I know it's hard to believe. Yeah, I, I have friends. I do. A few. I had a friend in radio who would refer to these as dense driver alerts. When people are traveling way too fast for and, and you know that doesn't have to be that fast to be way too fast for conditions when conditions are blah and right now and that is an exact meteorological term conditions are blah so please drive accordingly otherwise i will be issuing dense driver alerts throughout the course of the program so i'll kidding aside please especially when you have these conditions, when you just think you know what the road looks like based on what your lying eyes are telling you, that's when you get into all sorts of trouble. And this winter has been just horrific for those kinds of conditions. Scott was mentioning earlier that hopefully, as we get into the heart of afternoon drive, uh, that we will see improving conditions. I, I, I hope that is the case. The system is moving through. But please, 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 exercise caution wherever you are driving. If the roads are suspect, please be careful. Wherever you're going, we want want you to get there safely. All right. Now, it has been a while since I've been on WTMJ, uh, New Year's Eve to be exact. So a lot has changed in my life, and I'll just say that I don't follow the news quite as closely as I used to. I still do follow the news, but I, I'll just say this. I needn't do it professionally on a daily basis anymore, so I'm not just dialed in, news junkie addict, the way I've been for the past, geez, three-plus decades. So in preparing for today, tomorrow, and Friday, as Jeff is gone, uh, you know, I, I kind of went back a ways, and I checked with producer Kyle. Hey, did Jeff talk about this? Hey, did Jeff talk about that? Because I don't want to replow that ground, particularly if Jeff spent a lot of time on the topic. So I found two where, in fact, even though they're not all that new, uh, one is a week old, one is about three weeks old, but they're really interesting, and it's one of those things when each of them, when I heard them, wow, it'd be great if I had a show to talk about. Well... I do, particularly where we are going to start in this half hour. So this is, I think, just a a really, really interesting story. And I, in fact, did stumble upon this in show prep. And it deals with the governor of Michigan. And I'm going to be honest, until I saw this story, I, I quizzed Scott a few minutes before the news I would not have known who the governor of Michigan is. I know that a Democrat took the office. I, I knew that. And that's about all I knew. Her name is Gretchen Whitmer. I believe it was on Valentine's Day uh, or the day before. It doesn't matter. She gave her state of the state address. And it's interesting that it was her state of the state address because it was address. 
that got all the attention. So I'm going to pause here, and the following that Kyle's about to play is the audio from a TV news story, the Fox News affiliate, Fox 2 in Detroit, on what this is all about. And let me say this. I'll just say this before I have Kyle do that. She was not happy at all, was Governor Whitmer, with the TV station. And that's what we're going to talk about. Kyle, go ahead. Governor Gretchen Whitmer taking the podium last night to give her very first State of the State address. But some people were not focused on her vision for Michigan as they were on her dress. Fox's Erica Erickson with more on the social media frenzy. I am eager to work with each of you to get things done for the people of our state. Emphasizing infrastructure, education, and water in her first State of the State speech, reaction to Governor Gretchen Whitmer's address, more so on her actual dress. I looked on Facebook and I saw a bunch of comments of people making fun of her dress and I thought that was ridiculous. Social media exploding with comments on Whitmer's boat neck blue dress. I am really surprised at that. I thought she looked great. She looked fit. She looked healthy. As it streamed live on Fox 2's Facebook page Tuesday night. Some of them reading, dress is looking a little tight. I'd hit it. Push-up bra, clearly. Look how tight it is on her arms and heavy up top. She kind of looked like she was pregnant a little bit. Oh, boy. <laughs> not very nice. No. <laughs> it was fitting, but she looked nice. I didn't see anything wrong with it. They should, like, focus more on what she was talking about, not what she's wearing. One woman commenting, quote, she needs a dress that fits, as a man replies with, oh, it fits. Michelle Obama had to deal with that, too. And it was it's sad. I think it's sad that we even have to have this discussion at all. More comments saying her dress is not at all appropriate and she looks ridiculous. Probably would have wore something different. You gotta wear like a suit, right? She's the governor of our state. Wear a business suit. Some also asking if her breasts are real, with posts asking what size they are. One man saying nice rack, and another saying she's showing off her cans. Why not? You got it? Share it. Social media now. I think they don't have anything else to do. I think it happens more with the, uh, with women than than men. Nobody would be saying anything if it was Governor Snyder, right? Definitely not. We live in a sexist world. So what does an expert have to say about all this? Dr. Anne-Marie Cano says clothing options for female leaders can be a blessing and a curse. The blessing is that there's a lot, many different options from suits to dresses. At the same time, it means that there's no particular uniform that people are used to seeing when they see a women leader like they might see with a male leader. And so when there's something to critique, the first thing that you see is how they're dressed, what their hair looks like, and it is a way of diminishing women's accomplishments. Cannell also says there still appears to be an undercurrent, a bias, or even a mistrust of women in leadership. She says call out those commenters, as some people's responses could have been almost automatic. It gives people an aha moment where they realize, oh, I can't believe I just said that. As it's easier to comment these days, hiding behind a keyboard, Cano says she's noticing a shift and she feels optimistic. We see a pattern. Mm -hmm. Why is it happening? And what can we do about it? Those are all hopeful signs for me. Erica Erickson, Fox 2 News. 
I actually like how Erica showed the names of the people who were behind their keyboard mm -hmm. who made these comments. But I, this fires me up. I don't like to really get very opinionated about mm -hmm. these things. But that dress was fitted. She looked wonderful. Um, whether you like her or not, you know, let's keep that out of it. But in terms of how she dressed, a woman should not have to be taken seriously only if she dresses like a man. That is ridiculous. There was nothing revealing about that because that dress was fit. It was a beautiful color. Um, she seemed very confident in it. And I think that it's terrible putting these women in different categories because of how they look and how, and we've seen this with other leaders as well, even how they speak. If they're yeah. strong, they're known as confrontational. Right. Or, or, right. And, exactly. and that, that is wrong. And it's setting a horrible example. And you guys, if you disagree with her speech or you like it, we should be talking about that, not about what she's wearing. What she said, because you're absolutely right. <laughs> we all you know? liked the dress last night. We so. did. I love that there's a double standard. We do not judge women by the same standard as men, and that's wrong. I agree with the entire No, I'm shaking. I'm all I understand. I'm about this. We're with oh. you. Yeah. All right, let me fill in some blanks here before we take calls on this. I'm going to be as delicate as I can. And you may have picked up on this from some of the comments that you heard. Governor Gretchen Whitmer is uh, buxom. If you don't know what that means, look it up. But she's buxom. And she was wearing a very tight-fitting dress all the way around for the State of the State address. She was furious with Fox 2 News. Boys have teased me about my curves since fifth grade. My mom said, hold your head high and don't let it bother you. That Fox 2 News story was way out of line. I'm tough. I can take it. I find the social media comments reprehensible. I do. I, I, that's, just, that's just the way people are willing to talk in social media today. They're indefensible in my opinion. She, however, the governor is not attacking the comments per se. She is very upset that the TV station chose to do a story about what people were saying about her online. Bearing in mind, I think the story was pretty defensive and protective of her, particularly the banter between the two anchors back at the studio at the end. So here is my specific question to you. Do you think it is inappropriate for a TV station to report on what people said about a very form-fitting dress that a governor wore in the state of the state. Did they, did they just magnify what people were saying, or did they call them out? Which is the right thing to do here? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620 at the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 1220 News Radio WTMJ. Twelve twenty-three, News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner again. Careful, careful, careful on the roads. Uh, if traveling pretty much anywhere southeast Wisconsin, just uh, with the mix, the preset mix, just some nasty stuff out there. So uh, we've been getting various texts in the last hour. So please do be careful. 414-799-1620 at the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 414-799-1620. I have to admit, I, I couldn't have, until I saw this story online the other night, have produced the name of the Michigan governor 
Gretchen Whitmer. Now, you, you can Google this, by the way, and you will see the dress that she was wearing at her State of the State address. It is very form-fitting, and uh, I used buxom last time. She is curvaceous. And on the uh, Fox 2 Detroit affiliate that was streaming her speech, people started commenting, what else, on her physical appearance. And then that station did a story. And it quoted, it showed a bunch of those comments. They did person-on-the-street interviews where one guy said she looked pregnant. I don't even know. She didn't. But anyway, so she got upset with the TV station. And there are those who said this is body shaming. Others say, okay, if you wear a form-fitting piece of clothing, people are going to notice your form. Probably even more than what you have to say, even though you're the governor. So the thing is, though, she's not calling out the commenters. She's calling out the TV station. Is this news? Is what people were saying about her on social media news? Why or why not? And explain your answer. 414-799-1620. Start with a couple of texts. Uh, One person doesn't think there's anything wrong with what the TV station did. In the 262, not by any means. She's a public figure, and President Trump gets this every day. Mm, didn't exactly get that, but I know, I know where they're coming from. Carla from Milwaukee writes, and this is an interesting text, completely inappropriate and unnecessary for a news station to report on people talking about her appearance. There have to be at least 100 other Actual newsworthy stories to run over this. Spreading negativity like that is setting a very poor example for the community. I would argue, and by the way, the uh, news director then did post a response to the criticism. I get the sense that the, that the station thought it was having her back. Especially when you listen to the banter that we played between the two anchors saying, hey, that's just wrong. I think the intent, and they talked about people hiding behind a keyboard and all of that. So I I get the suspicion, I get the sense that they actually thought they were doing her a favor, that they were calling out these people who were commenting on her physical appearance. She didn't take it that way. If you have any thoughts on this, 414-799-1620. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620-1227. News Radio WTMJ. Twelve twenty-nine. News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. A couple of uh, additional texts on this story. The Michigan governor... Gave her state of the state address in a form-fitting dress. I, I mean, you can Google it. And a, a TV station did a huge, I shouldn't say, and they did. They did a pretty big story on what social media was saying about it. And uh, from the 262, nothing wrong running the story. Standing up against sexism isn't the jurisdiction of the left. Um, let's uh, go quickly to 
Dan in Port Washington. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good. Uh, my comment was that the reality is this, uh, if it would have been NBC or a CBS or ABC that ran that same um, piece, she would not have had a problem with it. It has to do with that because it was a Fox affiliate. That's my belief. Dan, thanks a lot for the call. I don't, I don't know what to say about that. Remember, Fox affiliates aren't Fox News, and some of them don't have the same uh, mentality that Fox News does. So I, I don't know, but I did. I, I too did take note that it was a Fox affiliate. This week's Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase is brought to you by Outdoor Living Unlimited, extending your house into your yard with patios, decks, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, and a lot of other great ideas for the ultimate backyard. OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com. Have time for another call or two on this. Uh, the story of the really newly minted governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, Democrat, giving her State of the State address in a form-fitting blue dress and and I, I just I want I want to be careful here but she she is uh, buxom I'll, I'll stick with that one and the social media lit up and then a TV station in Detroit did a story about what people were saying about her on social media and she was not happy with the TV station to Sean in Green Bay Sean you're on WTMJ Hey, Jerry. Great to hear your voice again. Long time no here. We miss you in Green Bay. Thank you. So, yeah, regarding this topic, I did follow this, and uh, my feeling is this. What she wore uh, did generate a lot of comments and some criticism and other topics on social media, but the reality is they gave a platform to trolls. The news station gave a platform to trolls. And in the modern social media age, you just can't do that. Um, if there had been legislators or someone that already had a platform commenting, now it's a newsworthy topic because other people who have platforms have weighed in. But for them to just seize on some of the comments from the trolls on social media and make a news story out of it might have been done with the best of intentions of defending her. But at the end of the day, it would have been better just to ignore all of it. Sean, thanks a lot for the great call. Really appreciate it. And I could not agree more. And my, So I bounced this topic off my wife last night, and she made what I think is a, a really good point. She didn't say it quite this way, but this was her point. This lazy journalism of making news out of what people say on social media. That, and you get this. Where someone will say something and you look and they don't have a lot of followers. They don't now. In this case, a number of people on their Facebook page. I get it, but still, why? Why would trolls say? I, I just absolutely agree with that. Why give them another platform? Now, I'm going to be completely honest here. When it comes to this kind of thing, I'm not the guy on the radio that I was three years ago, four years ago, actually five, six years ago. When it comes to this. I I used to comment on women's appearance. I would never do that today. I wouldn't. And and what I would say, those who are criticizing the way she dressed, my, my wife thought it looked more like a cocktail dress. She just thought, you know, you, you 
maybe like a business suit type thing. It's the state of the state. I kind of agree with that. If you don't want people to comment on your form, then don't wear something form-fitting. I, I get that. But that doesn't make the, the comments appropriate in any way, shape, or form. Now, in terms of the station doing a news story on it, I, don't, I, I, I agree with her on that. Why amplify? Why give a larger platform? And, and, I, and I agree with the caller, Sean from Green Bay. I think they were. I think they they were well intentioned, and they were trying to call them out. All you do is draw attention to them, and the person on the street interviews. I, I that may have been what upset her more than anything. The guy saying she looks pregnant. What do you put that guy on television for? You know that. So I I have to agree. A couple of texts on this. Uh, I agree with the governor. The station that gave those commenters the attention they were seeking by making those comments. Kind of like when people don't say a shooter's name after a tragedy. We shouldn't feed their ploy for acknowledgement. Uh, you, you did. It's, you know, when, okay, what do most trolls love when you re respond to them, right? Wow. When you respond to them with a TV news story, yeah, they get exactly what they want. This texter sees it another way. I live in Michigan, and I'm looking at the dress. I really can't believe how disgusting it looks. Clearly, she needs a consulting team, since her tastes are questionable. So what does that mean about her governmental choices? I wouldn't say it was disgusting. I just... Okay, you've been dealing with this since the fifth grade. So you... And I'm not, again, I'm not defending the reaction. What I'm saying is, it shouldn't have surprised you. Uh, a friend texted me. Station shouldn't have done the story. However, if you want to be taken seriously, you need to consider how you dress. I'm trying to imagine Margaret Thatcher in that dress. Or I guess, really any other female leader. But one thought on this, that men, the double standard, and then we're on to other things. But as for the double standard, all right. Suppose a, a male governor who's built like The Rock, I mean Dwayne The Rock, you know, big ripped 46-inch chest, and he wore a tight shirt with short sleeves that showed off his gunboats and his chest. Do you think there would not have been comments about that? Do you think that would not have lit up social media? If you show off your form, whatever it is, that's what people are going to notice on TV. I remember during the 2016 presidential election when I got some time on CNN, several occasions, uh, the haters, it's the first thing they talked about was my appearance. Not what I said, but my physical appearance. I thought turkey neck was a bit harsh, but you get the point. That's, that's what people notice on TV. It is a visual medium. On to other things in a couple of minutes, and this also deals with, I guess what you could say, 21st century problems. 1242 News Radio WTMJ.
1244 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. A final text on this. You're just as guilty talking about her dress on the air right now and repeating and reading of the media comments. Do her a favor. You should just drop it right now. Now you bring up the rock. I did. If, if, if a ripped guy had dressed that way and someone says Schwarzenegger and Ventura did that all the time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm not doubting that. I guess I never really thought about that. As to the point, well, you, you just shouldn't talk about it. You can say that about anything. It's out there. It's out there. So we address things that are out there. And while I do think the story was inappropriate, I think the larger issue here is making news out of social media comments. It has become a very lazy form of broadcast journalism. Well, it's right there. We can just do it, and then we can go ask people what they think of it, and there you go. And there are, I think it was a texter, or either a caller or a texter said, probably a hundred of other news stories that they could have done. Speaking of journalism and news, I'm going to guess, I could be wrong, but I'm going to guess that you have never heard of the Democrat Reporter newspaper of Linden, Alabama. I hadn't. I hadn't until I saw a story about it yesterday in the Washington Post. Let me just read a little bit of this. Two decades ago, the editor of the tiny Democrat Reporter newspaper in Linden, Alabama, was being talked about as a potential contender for the Pulitzer Prize. A congressional citation read on the floor of the House of Representatives in 1998 lauded his truly American heroism and dedication to the truth. And people called him one of Alabama's finest and most ethical journalists. Glowing profiles in the New York Times, People Magazine, and the American Journalism Review highlighted his tenacious reporting and down-home Southern charm. Now, what happened back then is Goodloe Sutton. Back then, he was a hero because he uh, brought to light government corruption. This tiny little newspaper brought to light government corruption in small-town America, small-town Alabama, Linden, Alabama. Well, Goodloe Sutton is back in the news again. This time because he recently called for mass lynchings and suggested that the Ku Klux Klan should return to clean out Washington. Time for the Klan to night ride again, began a February 14th editorial in the paper, which went on to claim that Democrats, along with some Republicans, were planning to raise taxes in Alabama. It concluded, seems like the Klan would be welcome to raid the gated communities up there. Sutton, who's also the paper's publisher, could not immediately be reached for comment by the Washington Post. He did tell the Montgomery, Alabama advertiser on Monday that he had written the editorial, which ran without a byline, and said he stood by it. So there's this, and then you find out in recent years, and you don't know if Sutton, Goodloe Sutton, wrote them all, but there's a a whole slew of similarly racist editorials in this paper. And you have to ask yourself, well, how, how did that happen? 
How, and and there there were several of them. Uh, in 1925, one referred to uh, an editorial referred to Selma Black Fugs, and there there are several of this nature. So then, you might wonder, well, how? How in the world did he get away with this? I mean, how? Why did it take this long? Because it's gone back for years now. Uh, the Klan didn't kill but a few people, wasn't violent until they needed to be in the latest one. And after this one was unearthed, you find out that there have been a number of editorials like this. And just stridently racist. So why did it take so long for this to get noticed? The answer is interesting and enlightening and tells us a lot about the 21st century. I'll tell you what it is in a couple of minutes. 1250 News Radio WTMJ. WTMJ, Good Karma Brands, and Versity Blood Center at Wisconsin of Wisconsin. Need your help with the Good Karma Blood Drive at the Milwaukee County Zoo on February 26th. Stop by 7A to 7P. Give blood, save a life. There will be food, parking for all donors. Plus, you'll also go home with a mystery bag and a ticket to a Brewers game. For more information, go to WTMJ.com or text the word BLOOD to 414-799-1620-1253. News Radio WTMJ. So, uh, telling you the story, Jerry and for Jeff, telling you the story about this incredibly racist Alabama newspaper. Got away with it for years. M- most recently, saying the Klan should ride again. Well, how did this uh, publisher, Goodloe Sutton, how did he get away with that? Aha. Uh-huh. They're not online. Now, their print content shows up kind of PDF-ish on a website called Small Town Paper USA or something like that. That's the only thing you will find. They don't have a website. They are a print edition newspaper only. Perhaps one of the last in the United States, quite candidly. I, I don't, I mean, how, even weeklies. You know, the weekly newspaper that I grew up with, the Peshtigo Times, which covers Marinette and O'Connell County, that, that part of the state. They have a website. And I, the Washington Post story pointed this out. And I think that's the real story here. I have for years said that if things don't happen on video these days, they're not real. If you make an allegation and you don't have video evidence of it, very few people are going to believe you these days. Well, if you're not online... You don't exist. Again, near as I found, and the Washington Post says that they're not online, and the only, I went, I don't see an actual website. But the bulk of what they do tends to be their print edition. So people take pictures of it, post it on social media, and that's how it gets out there. This is stunning to me. That what this guy's been doing in recent years, and what a fall from grace from the mainstream media. They love this guy when he was a small-town crusader against government corruption. Well, it's hard to believe, isn't it, that he suddenly changed and became this rabid racist? Now, they do point out that the newspaper was sold. They had to move to a smaller building. 
and so on. And circulation was shrinking. I don't know if he thought that was the answer or if this is who the guy always was. But I think it's a fascinating example of the realities of where we are today. If this thing had been a typical newspaper where the primary product is the website and online and so on, that's, and that's what today that's what it is. Newspapers exist in print form just because they are still trying to transition and they're trying to figure out how to fully monetize online the type of profit margins that they had as a print product. So in this sleepy little Linden, Alabama, and I have no idea what part of the state Linden is in. I was in Alabama once in my life a couple of years ago. I have no idea where Linden is. But he managed to just fly under the radar until he finally crossed the line. Because, I mean, some of these other editorials are very racist as well. And he managed to get away with those. Uh, He called Michelle Obama a chubby chick. He described President Obama as a Kenyan orphan president. And Hillary Clinton as a little fat oinker. And nothing. Because no one bothered sharing those in any way online. I think it's an interesting, and it does kind of tie in with the first topic that we had this hour, with the real world these days is the virtual world. In other words, what I mean by that is this. I think the online world has become a bigger part of who and what we are than the real world, except for the real world, you know, anywhere beyond the extent, uh, the extension of our arm. That's about it. Everything else we live vicariously through the screen and social media. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm saying that's what it is. And it took someone to take not even a screenshot. You can't because they're not online. But just take a picture and share it. And then you discovered what this guy was up to. All right, coming up in the next hour, actually in the next two hours, starting in the 1 o'clock hour, uh, parents behaving badly at high school sporting events. This did not get a lot of attention in southeast Wisconsin. Now, it did actually got national attention, but, I mean, it wasn't a dominant story in southeast Wisconsin the way it was in northeast Wisconsin where I live, where these parents got into this brawl at a wrestling match. What do you do? with? And they were actually cited, by the way. What do you do with parents like that? What causes this? And what does it do to the kid involved? I mean, when it's his parents involved. Then in the 2 o'clock hour, did you know that a pilot could have a .04 commercial pilot, .04 BAC, and still fly your plane that you're on, going to wherever. Are you okay with that? We'll get to that in the 2 o'clock hour. 12.59, News Radio, WTMJ. One oh nine. Greetings, snow-covered Wisconsin. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. 
I can tell you, Northeast Wisconsin, we aren't getting as much snow as they said we were going to get up here. Now, there's a precip mix in southeast Wisconsin, so you just just be careful. Be careful on the roads. It's just one of those days. Boy, it has been... It's been a rough winter. And I'll, I'll tell you, you, can bl- you want to blame somebody for this winter? I've, I've got an app for that. You can blame my sister and me. <laughs> we have had several conversations about how winters aren't the way they used to be. You know, the classic, right, I was a kid. Well, but it, it was true in this regard. And here's how I remember winters, and when I say I was a kid... From you know single digits, growing up on a farm in Marinette County, till my early twenties, that January would have this one-two punch. You would get cold, cold, cold. Twenty-five below. It might last for a week or more. And well, first you would get. I'm sorry. First you would get the snow. You would get a big old storm, and then it would. The temperature would just plummet below zero. I remember this winter after winter after winter. And while I still think there is scientific debate to be had about whatever climate change we're experiencing, there's no question that winters have, at least in Wisconsin, in recent years, have been different. Now, about four or five years ago, we had one of those nasty 20 below jobbies, but year in and year out, no. This winter is the type of winter that my sister and I said doesn't happen anymore. And we've said it in conversation several times. So blame us. It's on us. Because we said it just didn't happen anymore. This has been a heck of a winter. Yeah, I got off to a latish start. It was a brown Christmas, I think, in pretty much all of Wisconsin. But man, the snow has been just brutal. The cold has been brutal. And I, I just I saw the teasings of it on TV news. Sunday looks like there could be a system, a snowmaker, more significant than this one. But that's all I heard at that point. Speaking of teases, boy, it's amazing how people react sometimes. I teased a story about airline pilots being allowed to have a .04 blood alcohol content and still fly. (laughs) This texter, tell the whole story, Jerry, there's more to it than that. Well, there is. There is, my friend. And we're going to get to it after 2 o'clock. That's why they call it a tease. See, we don't give everything all at once. Uh, I will, however, share all of this, or the important stuff anyway. This from CNN. Attorney General Bill Barr is preparing to announce as early as next week the completion of Robert Mueller's Russia investigation with plans for Barr to submit to Congress soon soon after a summary of Mueller's confidential report. According to people familiar with the plans, the preparations are the clearest indication yet that Mueller is nearly done with his almost two-year investigation. Precise timing of the announcement, subject to change. The scope and contours of what Barr will send to Congress remain unclear. Also unclear, how long it will take justice officials to prepare what will be submitted to lawmakers. But with President Donald Trump soon to travel overseas for a summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, Justice officials are mindful of not interfering with the White House's diplomatic efforts, which could impact the timing. 
the Justice Department and the Special Counsel's Office declined to comment. Barr has said that he wants to be as transparent as possible with Congress and the public consistent with the rules of law, so on, so on, so on. So, as I said, I would get to the relevant parts, and the relevant parts are this. Mueller's report apparently is coming soon. We still don't know exactly what release will look like, who will see what and when. But Mueller's report is winding down. Again, the timing is still something of a moving target. But expected, uh, perhaps, uh, here's what you always have to be careful for in this wording. Here's the headline again. Justice Department preparing for Mueller report as early as next week. You could argue that that's just as bad, or I, I should say, you could argue that you could also say as early as next week, but what's missing as, or as late as, dot, 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 and it's not there. Just got a text from a WTMJ listeners saying both lanes closed on State Highway 26 south of Watertown. That's according to uh, a texter. And again, uh, nasty, nasty stuff out there. Do be careful. All right. <sighs> Parents and high school sports. But they don't mix. That's next. 115 News Radio WTMJ. This week's Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase is brought to you by Outdoor Living Unlimited. Extending your house into your yard with patios, stacks, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, a lot of other great ideas for the ultimate backyard. OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com 118 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. All right. Full disclosure. I was raised in a wrestling family. I did not wrestle. I have three brothers. I'm pretty sure they all wrestled. I know the older two did, and I'm thinking thinking my younger brother did at least somewhat. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, but all three wrestled. I come from a high school, Coleman High School in Marinette County, which is famous for wrestling. Two Hall of Fame coaches. I think Kevin is a, Kevin Casper, who I went to high school with. I believe he's in the Coaching Hall of Fame. I know Jim Douglas was. And I always tell people, when they name the football field after the wrestling coach, <laughs> which they did, you know it's a pretty big wrestling school. So, here's the story, and this did get national attention, but it didn't get carpet saturation, carpet bombed, if you will, uh, outside of northeast Wisconsin, the way it did up there. Here's the story. Wrestling community leaders react to parent fight in Kimberly. This is from WBAY-TV. And I, I, I decided not to play the video of the story, but essentially here's what happened. There's bad blood between these two sets of parents, right? So there's these two kids who have wrestled before. And apparently this has become a rivalry, if not for the kids, at least for the parents. And there was a lot of what one parent called jawjacking going on. And there's F-bombs being dropped. And this finally culminates in a brawl. It was a local tournament, a tournament, listen to me not speak, tournament in Kimberly. But 
it wasn't it didn't directly involve Kimberly High School. It's just that's just where it was held, right? And this brawl, of course, was caught on cell phone video and then exploded on social media. That's nasty. It's really nasty. Now, the fists are flying. Well, there was certainly hair pulling and, and hitting and, and that sort of thing. And ultimately, I believe the parents had instigated it, the, you know, through the first punch, as it were, or took the first act, were cited. I want to just read, it's a very short story from WBAY's website. Wrestling community leaders are reminding parents how their actions affect their kids. And they go on to say, as they first reported this week, which was last week, video of a disturbing brawl at a local tournament in Kimberley led to police citing three of the four parents. It's a video catching a lot of attention on social media. When you get parents involved in fighting, it just shows they are too involved and they're not leaving it up to the kids Askren Wrestling Academy head coach Josh Wagner said. Wagner said this kind of bad behavior is seen from parents in all youth sports. He's right. And it sets a very poor example. They're obviously looking at you for a reason, Wagner said. How are you reacting? If you are acting crazy and doing negative activities, they are going to feel the same way. And then they share their listeners' feedback from social media. Uh, they reached out to the president of the DePure wrestling team, Tyler Beckett. He called the fight an unfortunate occurrence. The team will continue to fulfill their goal of prom- promoting sportsmanship through wrestling, Beckett said. According to Wagner, wristbands earned after a background check are required for mat access at some tournaments, but it's not a perfect system. Okay, wristbands earned after a background check to have access to the mat. And this happened on the edges of the mat where these two kids were wrestling. I have, I, I remember seeing a, a wrestling mom down on all fours on the edge of the mat, screaming, just screaming as her kid was wrestling. Parents behaving badly is hardly a new phenomenon, but if you see this video, I mean, this gets way, way, way out of control. So there are two questions. What in the world causes this? I have an answer to that. And what ultimately can we do about it? What what steps can we take when parents, and I'll just put it this way because, quite frankly, this is what it is, goes when they go off the deep end, how are we to react to that? What is the right answer for that? What really can we do about that? If you have any thoughts on this, I'll tell you what I think in a few minutes. But if you have any uh, thoughts on it, 414-799-1620 at the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 414-799-1620. Should parents be allowed back in? Is, is, Is that the case? What, what do you do 414-799-1620 news radio wtmj
125 News Radio WTMJ. Yeah, I should point out, and I appreciate the listener for mentioning that. This was a youth wrestling tournament. This was a youth wrestling tournament. Uh, he said the kids are second grade. They uh, look a little older than that to me. But anyway, it is a youth wrestling tournament, so not a, not a high school event or anything like that, which makes this even worse because you have these young kids seeing their parents fight. So what causes that? What leads to that? Especially when it is young kids that way. By the way, um, court dates have been set for the three wrestling parents who got into a physical altercation at a recent youth wrestling meet, which was captured on video. So you're, you're dealing, actually, with pretty young kids. And I'm just trying to imagine, in any situation where you have young kids like that, where I'm going to behave that way. And and I'm and I'm going to get into first an F bomb match with another parent and then a physical altercation. And I do find it interesting that actually in some places they require a background check for mat access at some of these events. You want to talk about a parent living vicariously through their kid, and I don't even know if that's the case here. When it's high school age, yeah, I guess I guess that would be that would make sense. It wouldn't make sense. I mean, <laughs> I retract that. It would be understand not even understandable. I could see how it could happen. And I, by the way, I know parents who live vicariously through their kids in the high school years. These are young kids, so. I have to tell you, here's where I'm leaning on this, especially with that it's young kids. This was a youth. Uh, a listener said second grade. I don't know if they're that young, but they're young. The youth wrestling tournament. I, I have a question, and if you want to weigh in on this, you can do so after the news. I don't know if I know my own answer to it, but I have a question. Should these parents be banned? For how long? I don't know. Till the kids are in high school? I don't know. I'm leaning toward yes. I mean, cr- not criminal, but, you know, citations were issued, not felonies or anything like that. Citations were issued in this case. Should these parents be allowed, not even on the mat, in the gym? Because they acted like, I hate to use this word, the word I was going to use is thugs, and I don't. I hate that. I'd be careful with that. But it was over the top. A listener writes: I saw the video and I was totally disgusted. The parents should be banned for the rest of the season. This is part of the reason why our society is so depraved. There's no fear of God, which there is no respect for anyone. Well, there's certainly no respect. I mean, it's it is amazing. I mean, they're just going at it. I, I have to agree. I think they should lose their privilege to see their young kids wrestle, at least for the rest of this season. This is a problem that goes well beyond one youth wrestling match. 
You see it at Little League games. You see it all over the place. And I think parents need to be called out for this and called out in a way where there are serious consequences. And, you know, it's tough on the kid. I get that. But they're the ones that put it in that position. If you have any thoughts on that, we can take them after the news. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One thirty-four News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. Final text on the topic: the uh, brawl at the youth, and it was a youth uh, wrestling tournament in Kimberley. Actually, a couple of texts on this. Joe in South Milwaukee writes: I know in our sports organization, both parents and players have to sign a code of conduct form zero tolerance policy at a violated they get suspended for a period of time depending on the severity of the violation uh, another one uh my grandson does wrestling that age i've only been uh to a couple of matches they get pretty loud uh at the stands parents should not be allowed on or by the mats those parents should be uh, banned and heavily medicated uh, maybe they forgot to take their meds. Well, uh, I, I don't know about that. I, th- I don't know about that. But here's what I would say. I think the parents do have to be banned for the remainder of the season. I, I mean, if you see the video, it is so over the top. It's It's just beyond... I just, I can't, look, I'm a guy that used to let his temper get the best of him, and I did. I I had an issue where I let my temper get the best of me. Now, that's in the rearview uh, rear mirror for me. I'm not perfect. I mean, I still can lose my temper. Don't get me wrong. But that's basically who I was. Okay, I, these people, if... You have a young child who's there the center of attention. They are supposed to be the center of attention wrestling. And you behave like that. I mean, this is just a a barroom-type brawl. And, you know, the, the coach is working with these young kids and the other parents who are behaving. And I want to be clear, this is just... You know, you get you get parents screaming at little league umpires and on and on and on. And I think when it gets to this level of severity, I just don't know what other choice really that you have. To Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. I think for the rest of the season it's way too light. Their behavior was completely unacceptable and is teaching our kids the wrong thing and shouldn't be allowed in that gymnasium for at least the next couple of years, or any gymnasium for that matter. Wow, okay. So banned from any similar venue, but a couple of years, two years? Absolutely, why not? I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just trying, I, I just want to get a handle on what it is that you're proposing, Scott. Um, 
I don't know that I. Well, what's actually really going to teach these? Go ahead. What are, what's going to teach these people a lesson, and what's going to teach you know our youth a lesson? You know, if they're get a slap on the hand, what's going to stop them from? You know, what's the rest of the season? I mean, not very long. Well, okay, you you made a really important point there, and thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. I, he made a really important point. The punishment has to go a long way toward showing kids. I mean, you know, and listen, this has got to be tough because these are young kids. You know, these aren't even high school kids. And you know, it's going to get around that, yeah, your parents are banned because they're boneheads. And, and I can't even imagine what the kid is going to be, or kids are going to be subjected to. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I get, here's, again, I'm just thinking out loud. My inclination is, certainly for the rest of this wrestling season, but then that this, I mean, I guess uh, two strikes and you're out. I mean, you know, if they so much as sneeze the wrong way at a wrestling match in the future, I, you know, then they're gone for a long, long time. To Jeff in Brookfield. Jeff, go ahead. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. I have a son-in-law who's a wrestling coach, and he res- he does club and he does high school. Uh, he sent me the video. He said, first thing is the parents ought to be banned for life, both sets. He said, it's, you know, it has no place. It's been going on in all sports for too long. Um, the referee has no control over it. He can't do anything about it. Uh, and the kids are either going to turn out like the parents or they are totally embarrassed but so ban ban for life so if their kids go on to be high school wrestlers they they can't attend no they stay away you know obviously this is not the first time that this has happened with these parents Uh, no you're right you know you know and they haven't learned nobody apparently has uh either wanted to challenge them or do something but they need to be gone and maybe it'll serve a better purpose and it'll keep the rest of the parents that way and you're right i coach a little league um parents get obnoxious they think they have a god-given right to insult everybody well you know and my kid is always better than the other kid and you know and that sort of thing Thanks a lot for the good call. I appreciate it. But I don't know. He's essentially proposing the death penalty here. Well, these parents never get... Uh, it possibly uh, is. Like, I mean, if you can do something lighter and have it be effective, go for it. You know. Okay. Well, that's what I'm thinking is maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just being a softy here, but give them one more try. Jeff, thanks a lot for the call. Do okay. appreciate it. Um, you know, it just... To say that, you know, if their kids go on to be good high school wrestlers, you can never watch them. Here's what I would say. Uh, look, I know anger management issues when I see them. And those are anger management issues. And yes, I had an anger management issue. I know it when I see it. I don't think I've ever seen it in a group like a... Uh, where all four people are just freaked out. But that's what you had. So the consequences do have to be pretty strict. I, I think banned for the season and then something. I mean, some type of remediation. Hey, you have to understand, 
we have to see evidence that you understand your behavior, not just in front of other people, but in front of young children. You ruined this. You ruined this for your kids. Do you understand that? Do you understand the consequences of your actions? I, yeah, I think all of that does, in fact, need to be fleshed out. To Carolyn in Milwaukee. Carolyn, you're on WTMJ. Go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. I agree with banning them for the rest of this season, and if they do anything even vaguely against sportsmanship in the future, that they would be banned then for the rest of that year and possibly two or three years. I was telling the screener, I used to work with one of the heart surgeons that had was coaching peewee hockey, um, and he always said that he would... He loved working with the kids, but he would have banned the parents from the games if he could have. Yeah, I, I think, Carolyn, thanks a lot for the call. I, you know, something's got to be done. I just, I mean, the nuclear option seems pretty extreme to me. But I, I mean, I will tell you, you know, this is not an isolated case, and it certainly is not limited to wrestling by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, usually, now I, certainly you can have conflicts between parents this way, usually what you have is parents ripping into officials or saying inappropriate things to, to young athletes, which certainly there was some of that in this case. To Jenny in Germantown. Jenny, go ahead. Hi. So we were recently at a basketball game for fourth graders, and they were playing against a team, and they had the two coaches on the bench, but literally surrounding the entire basketball court were three more coaches at one end, three more coaches at another end, all for the same team. So they literally counted nine other adults yelling and screaming at these kids. And if they want to be coaches, then be on the bench. You only need two coaches. You don't need two coaches plus nine other parents <laughs> yelling at these kids. And it well, got very heated. Uh, now, I haven't been, thanks a lot for the call, Jenny. I haven't been to a wrestling match in over 40, well, that's not true. That's not true. Um, I, I've seen my nephew wrestle, so that isn't true. But it's still probably 20-some years. And I, so I don't know, and especially what you're looking at you know what happened here with the right on the edge of the mat i remember when i was in high school you saw parents down there and that's the first thing i i just think that's the first thing that probably should change especially at this grade level but this is such a negative experience not just for the two young kids involved but for the other wrestlers there these parents made it all about them they completely lost sight of what the whole point is of their kids being involved in this. All right, I tell you what, we've got a couple of texts I'll share in a couple of minutes on this, and then we are on to other things. 145 News Radio WTMJ. One forty-eight News Radio WTMJ Jerry in for Jeff. So one other text and the the whole youth wrestling where the parents got in the fight. Actually, two points. Uh, a texter made a good point. I did not mention this. I was aware of it, but I did not mention it. 
one of the fathers just out and out lied to police when he was questioned. And police let him basically just cook his own goose. They let him lie and said, hey, dude, (laughs) this thing was videoed and you're not telling the truth. You did this, that, and that. You're claiming you didn't lay a finger on her. Uh, yeah, you lay several fingers on her. Yeah, so a, a parent lied. But this I find really interesting, and I did not know this. In kids' lacrosse, elementary, middle school, and high school, there is someone called the culture keeper. This person is an adult volunteer from both teams who walks the sideline amongst the parents keeping the culture. People are told by the culture keeper to keep it together or they will be asked to leave. Peers managing peers. In this case, parents managing other parents. I'm not saying that's a bad idea. I'm not. But I think it's... Should parents have to parent other parents? That's what's really happening here. Should parents have to parent other parents? And can you know? Can we expect adults to act like adults and set an example? I think the caller that suggested the nuclear option. I think it's excessive that they they're done for the rest of their kids' childhood. I I think that's excessive. But I don't know about any other. I mean, you know, suspended for the rest of the year in terms of seeing what the kids are doing, and I mean, then from there on out, it's one strike and you're out. And yes, I think you should have to show that you understand how incredibly inappropriate your actions were. I think that would be critical. All right. So there is a story that just won't go away. It is the Jussie Smollett story. Chicago detectives are now seeking his financial records. Meanwhile, his siblings defend Empire actor uh, blasts the media as irresponsible. Fox says that he isn't being edited out of existence from the TV show Empire. But clearly this story has changed from the original narrative that it was a racist, homophobic attack to where now Chicago police apparently are investigating as to whether Smollett orchestrated this, or to at least to some level was involved in it. So the Chicago Tribune, because this happened in Chicago, the Chicago Tribune is all over this. This is a columnist Mary Schmick in the Chicago Tribune. The first day story is never the whole story. She's a great column here, and I want to share it with you. It's not long. It isn't long. That's one of the most important lessons I've learned as both a journalist and a consumer of news, she writes. And it's one I repeat whenever I'm tempted to pop off too quickly about the latest public outrage. The first day story is never the whole story. The first day story is never the whole story. In other words, when it comes to significant events, and even the ones that don't seem to matter much, there's always more going on than initial reports contain. Facts take time to emerge. They take time to find. If you want the truth, you need to wait. We're now on the umpteenth day of the Jussie Smollett story, with its twists and turns, its mysteries within mysteries, we still don't know what happened. I've got a hunch, you've got a hunch, everybody's got hunches. Hunches are not facts. Let me interrupt her briefly. Everyone is now assuming that he is guilty. 
Chicago police haven't said that yet. I'm not saying he isn't. I'm saying they haven't said that. They've said that the direction of the investigation has taken an apparently dramatic turn, turn, and a number of news outlets are getting fed information from someone or someones that are seemingly in a position to know. Now back to her. Fact. Smollett, star of the TV show A-Star of Empire, who happens to be black and gay, reported that he was beaten up on January 29th in the depths of a freezing Chicago night by two masked men shouting slurs and wearing Trump-style mega hats. Fact. The Chicago Police Department reported that it was investigating the alleged incident as a potential hate crime. Fact. The news media exists to report news, and both of the facts above are news. The media have contributed to report on the incident, continued rather, even as murky information surfaces to cast doubt on Smollett's version. Also a fact. The media are not an it. They're a they, plural. Many outlets that report in different ways, some more reliable than others. The Chicago Tribune is on the cautious end of the spectrum, which is why it hasn't reported every every anonymously sourced claim racing around Twitter in the guise of truth. Some of those claims may be proved true, but until they are, they remain in the foggy land of rumor and speculation, and the savvy news consumer will withhold judgment. Learning to withhold judgment until all the critical facts are in is hard. Few of us have mastered such restraint. We're eager to show how smart we are, how informed and instinctive, how concerned we are about truth and justice. Many of us think of ourselves as super sleuths, able to deduce what even the experts can't. And I don't know if there's such a thing as an expert when it comes to this type of story. We're looking for the approval of our peers. We stand at the ready to fight the enemy. But rushing to judgment in complicated news stories is like rushing unequipped into a fire. You risk getting burned. If you're old enough to remember the 1995 bombing of the federal building in Oklahoma City, and I am, you'll remember how many people, some of them famous and important, immediately concluded it was the work of Islamic terrorists. It wasn't. After the 2001 terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center, speculation ran rampant in the media and among the public that Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein was the mastermind. He wasn't. I don't remember. I actually don't remember. I heard Osama bin Laden's name pretty quickly. In 2017, after a man shot and killed 59 people at a country music concert in Las Vegas, social media exploded with claims that the gunman was a rabid liberal who despised Donald Trump. Wrong again. Over time, facts emerged, stories changed, opinions shifted. The attack against Jesse Smollett may not have happened the way he claimed, but that's not to say it couldn't have, and whatever happened that night, certain things are true. Hate crimes are real. Black people and gay people are among those who are discriminated against every day. Anyone who doubts it only has to look at the racist, homophobic, hate-mongering that has sprung up in response to Smollett's story. Did Smollett lie? I don't know. Neither do you. Yet. Because as surely as it might have happened the way he claims, the fact that it might have doesn't mean it did. If it turns out he lied, he's done damage that he should be held accountable for. But that's still an if. And it's not a fact. For now, the wise news consumer will continue to watch and wait. The truth is likely to be revealed soon, and before long the story will fade from public view. But another will come along quickly that tests our commitment to the truth. When it does, pause, take a deep breath, repeat. The first day story is never the whole story. And there are, of course, other examples that validate her point. The mega-wearing 
kids, and that's the confrontation at the Lincoln Memorial. I jumped too early on commenting on that one. There's one right out out there right now. The New York Times, that President Trump pressured Matthew Whitaker to make a change in prosecutors uh, in the Michael Cohen case. It's one outlet. I People do tend to jump and jump quickly. Those who wanted to believe Justice Millett believed him unequivocally. Those who want to believe that he lied now absolutely believe he lied. I, I lean that way. The evidence would seem to suggest that. But we still don't know what happened. She is right about that. But it... it you know, it's it certainly seems, and and I didn't follow this closely at first, but as I said, stories did once I heard the whole story, I thought it sounded fishy. But I, my default is to not believe. I didn't believe Brett Favre in the sexting story. I didn't believe Ryan Braun. I didn't believe Lance Armstrong, and on and on and on. I am skeptical. I it's dubious. But we don't know the whole story. But what we have is an inclination to believe the narratives we want to believe. 157 News Radio WTMJ. Two oh nine, third and final hour of the Jeff Wagner show with no Jeff Wagner, Jerry Bader filling in. Glad to have you along. I, I want to reiterate, you just heard Melissa you know, talk about the weather and the roads and so on. We're getting a fair number of texts. Uh, let's see. Uh, both lanes now open again on 26 at Johnson Creek. Ramps are open. Uh, all roads in Jefferson County, ice covered, uh, very slippery. There had been closures, uh, 26. Apparently, uh, serious accidents in that area. Anyway, we're getting a bunch of reports from that area. Uh, so 26 Watertown area, uh, it's just it's nasty out there. So please, please, please be careful. Before we move on to a topic that I'm really interested to jump into, some final thoughts on the piece I read from Chicago Tribune columnist in the last half hour concerning the Justice Smollett story. My inclination is that he's not telling the truth. Now his denials are so adamant. It seems almost impossible to believe that he's lying. Someone said he's either telling the truth or he deserves an Emmy. Because he's so adamant. Fox News is now disputing reports that he's being marginalized out of existence on the show Empire, Fox Television Network, that is. The evidence would seem to suggest that it sure didn't happen the way he said. And you got the two brothers. They're now cooperating with police. All logic says he's lying. But her point is we still don't know. And the media, again, bit hard on a story that it, and again, the media is not an it, it's a they. She's right about that. They bit hard on a story that they wanted to believe. And clearly the, the original narrative isn't holding up. We still don't know the whole story. The media are are very upset and feel it's dangerous when President Trump calls them fake news. I agree. But here's the reality. 
Okay, their track record of late biting hard on stories before they know the whole story isn't very good. The BuzzFeed story that the Mueller team came out and said, yeah, no, BuzzFeed stood by the story. We still don't know what the real story was there. We know what the Covington kids, that was a false narrative. And on and on and on. We have a situation where it's facts are mattering less and less. Well, this is the narrative I want to believe. And once I believe it, I'm going to pretty much stick to it. I've warned about this before. You have these competing alternate reality bubbles. And yes, you see it in both sides in politics. I've, as a conservative, I have bemoaned it from Republicans and President Trump. Democrats see them having one of their own in AOC, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez. She is as fact-free as any politician, and she reacts a lot like President Trump when people call her on it. Democrats are trying to contain her. Good luck if she becomes uber-popular the way Donald Trump did. But this is just the world as it exists today. Well, I want to believe this. Well, okay, you believe that. I believe it was the late Senator Patrick Moynihan, Daniel Daniel Patrick Moynihan, um, who said everyone's entitled to their own opinion, not their own facts. Now they are. Well, this is what I want to believe. And you do still have some who believe Jussie Smollett. Others are convinced they know the whole story and exactly how he made it up. I don't know that. My, unfortunately, my default position is cynicism and skepticism when it comes to these stories. Because sadly, not believing the person has become a pretty safe bet. And here's what I will say. If he made all this up, I won't be surprised at how defiantly he lied about it. Ryan Braun did the same thing. I, I just, I couldn't, I, I remember my producer at the time, could not believe Ryan Braun could be lying. He, oh, the guy can't be lying. He can't be. De- defiant refusals are the coin of the public personality realm right now. That's just the way it is. All right. In a couple of minutes, I want to tee up a story uh, that I think it hits close to home for me because I just flew commercially. It's a complex story. We'll break it down in just a couple. 214 News Radio WTMJ. Two sixteen News Radio WTMJ Jerry Bader and for Jeff Wagner. So earlier this month, actually it was a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I flew to Orlando. It was I can't say it was work related, business related. It wasn't pleasure per se. Okay, but we weren't on vacation. Is my point. And we were in Orlando February fourth uh, through the eighth. And we flew, I don't know, we live in Green Bay, but we got a much more favorable fl- uh, price and a direct flight out, flying out of Mitchell. So we did, the, it was the night of the Super Bowl. I First time ever, I watched the Super Bowl in a Milwaukee hotel, one of the stay-in flies. And then we flew out and flew back to 
Mitchell. Sunny in 82, Friday, February 8th in Orlando. Yeah. Zero. I thought my car was, based on reports we've been hearing, I thought my car was going to be covered in ice. It it wasn't. But the doors were kind of, they were stuck from where it had been wet and then froze. But everything was fine. Our flights were spectacular. So, right around the time we flew, ABC News ran a very interesting story. Kyle, go ahead. British authorities detained the American Airlines flight crew member in Manchester before the A330 took off for Philadelphia. An aviation source telling ABC News it was one of the three pilots, but it is unclear if it was the captain or one of the first officers who tonight is being investigated for suspicion of performing an aviation function when over the prescribed limit of alcohol. American canceled that flight, rebooking passengers, and saying in a statement, safety is our highest priority, and we apologize to our customers. The limit for alcohol in pilots is half that for drivers, .04. This pilot arrested two years ago in Detroit, and some, like this former JetBlue pilot, faced federal charges. Did you put 270 passengers at risk? No comment. This is an ongoing issue you've reported on before. David Curley with us again tonight. We're aware of this latest arrest, and has American Airlines taken any action other than canceling the flight, David? No, so far that's all they have done. American says they are cooperating with the British authorities who are investigating this incident. David Curley with us live from Washington. David, thank you. Now, .04 is the FAA limit for blood alcohol content for a commercial pilot or, or crew who are going to fly. I teased that an hour over an hour ago, and I immediately got a text. Jerry, true, a .04 BAC is allowed for any pilot. However, they cannot consume one drop of alcohol within eight hours of taking off. Tell the whole story. Yes, it's called the FAA bottle-to-throttle rule. You cannot consume alcohol within eight eight hours of flying. However, because of the way the body metabolizes alcohol, it's possible that you could comply with that rule, not have any alcohol eight hours before a flight, and still have some blood alcohol content because, again, the way the body deals with that alcohol. I still think it should be zero tolerance. I think it should be 0.0. Let me make my case on this, and then we can take some calls on this. I, now I don't know the science here, okay? But let's say you went eight hours. And then after eight hours, you slept or whatever, you woke up, and you, you went into work to fly the plane, and you were at .04. One, that means you, you drank, I'm guessing you drank a fair amount. But two, if you're a commercial driver's license, a CDL holding trucker out there, How would that work for you? How could anyone have .04 on the job? Now, no, it doesn't mean they're still intoxicated, and it doesn't mean they recently had a drink, but it doesn't mean they didn't. And here's here's why I think it should be zero and not .04. Because how do you prove that it's a residual .04 from drinking that occurred eight hours earlier? How How do you know that? How do you know they didn't have a beer? An hour or two beers, an hour before flying. How, how do you know? You don't. I think 
what why do most people dislike flying and i'm not talking about the experience of dealing with the air traffic system you know dealing with getting on a flight and going through tsa i'm not talking about that some people are uncomfortable sitting in a plane why because they have no sense of control at all when you're driving you're in control when you're riding in a car you can at least see the driver heck in a bus you can see the driver you have a sense of what's going on about you you don't in a commercial aircraft so it's it is literally blind trust well you're saying you shouldn't be able to drink at all if you have a drink or two eight hours before you fly it is very unlikely that you're going to have that you're going to hit any BAC at all or if you want to make it point oh one or whatever but I think of because of the uncertainty that's involved here I think it does need to be virtually zero tolerance that's my take if you have any thoughts on this 414-799-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line 414-799-1620 222 News Radio WTMJ Twenty-five News Radio WTMJ Jerry in for Jeff. I, I recently saw a story on ABC, and it was a much more high-profile story. Two pilots who were quite intoxicated back in 2016. The limit for flying you can, as long as you're not over .04 or at .04, I guess. I, I think when you are entrusted with hundreds of lives, I think it should be zero tolerance. I was unaware of this. And I was a little bit surprised by it. Well, no, I was a lot of bit surprised by it. Because you have to trust pi- the pilot. You just, it, you know, you're, you're in there. You can't see them. You don't know them. And I, and I understand that there's the bottle to throttle eight hours. But how can you know if they're at .03 or whatever? How do you know they didn't just have a beer? I, just, I, think, I think it should be zero. To Jim in Muskego. Jim, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you today? Hello? Jim? Yep. Yeah, go ahead, Jim. Well, I guess it's, I'm curious in the fact that .08 now is considered being drunk, and you're going to say that they're going to allow a pilot at .04 to be considered half drunk. Don't you think it would be interesting to say that everybody that's going to get on a plane, would you be willing to still get on that plane knowing that that pilot blows .02, .03, even .01? Somebody that actually has been drinking, do you want to get on that plane and let him fly you around? Now, here's Jim, I think that's a good point. Thanks a lot for the call. I, I do want to say this. There's a, a story that uh, came out in 2016 when, when two pilots were really intoxicated. And the story's trying to point out that such cases are extremely rare. Each day there are 90,000 flights around the world carrying more than 8 million passengers, and the overwhelming majority of pilots in those cockpits are sober. Now, because the guy was busted, the one earlier this month, I, I, I'm not saying he was intoxicated. But we don't know when he last drank. Because of the nature of air travel, because of the level of trust, and I think the caller made a really interesting point. How Would you like it announced? 
Hello, I'm Captain uh, Davis. Uh, thank you for flying with us tonight. Uh, by the way, per FAA regulation, I need to report that my BAC is .03, which is a full 100th point underneath the limit. So I am just fine. Well, what would your reaction to that be? I, I just, I'm asking. Some texts on this. Pilots should be at 0.0 always if they are flying. This goes for anyone who makes a living driving for their line of work. This includes taxi drivers, semi-drivers, and everything. It should be zero tolerance. End of story. Uh, Now, you could ask, well, why isn't it zero tolerance for all drivers? There are those who feel it should be that way. I do believe that you can have a beer or two and not be intoxicated and drive. However, I I understand you are still a potential risk to those around you, and I get get it. I don't know if it's exactly a double standard, but I understand the inconsistency there. But I just think it's a whole different level when you are piloting a commercial aircraft. Well, see, now George in the 920 makes a really good point. He goes, look... I don't want a hungover pilot flying either. I, I Look, if you have a beer or a glass of wine, or even two, eight hours before, the bottle-to-throttle rule, if you do that, I think you're going to be fine. But if you drank to excess, and then your body metabolized it in such a way that your... so on. I think it should be zero. And again, the primary reason I believe that is because how do you prove that it's the result of metabolizing from drinking eight hours ago? I I just, I, I, I don't know how you do that. All right, coming up in the next half hour, I do want to talk about what Wisconsin Republican lawmakers are saying about the president's emergency declaration. Uh, we are uh, tomorrow. We're going to have Senator Johnson on in the 1 o'clock hour. But I want to preview that topic coming up and because it's interesting where several Republicans stand on the issue. Thirty-five News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. So I got to tell you, one other thing about flying, and it has nothing to do with the blood alcohol content of pilots. I forgot earbuds, and I, I just didn't feel like asking for any on the flight back. And it was uh, Boeing seven fifty-seven from Orlando to Detroit, and then to Mitchell. I watched. This is really interesting. I've never done this before. Now, even I have a more than a bit of a hearing issue. If I say I have a little bit of a hearing issue, producer Kyle will laugh hysterically. I, I have a I have a little bit of a hearing issue, and by that I mean a lot. And it's hard for me to even with earbuds. I take all my hearing aids and just uh, I have a hard time hearing anyway. So I have the closed captioning on anyway. That's kind of an assist. But I didn't have earbuds at all, so I watched the latest Mission Impossible movie, just the closed captioning. 
That was a fascinating experience. Because I've tried to imagine what it was like if I was completely unfamiliar with Tom Cruise's acting style. When I would see the words and I would see Tom Cruise, I could imagine how he would say them. Not the world's biggest Tom Cruise fan, but I've seen him in enough movies. It was, it was really different. And I don't know. I, I don't, I, I, you know, I would pray that I'm going to have at least some level of hearing for the rest of my life. But there may come a time where that's how I view things. And it was really interesting. So, you know, it's I, I use it as an assist all the time. But it was really interesting to rely on it completely. I would like to rewatch the movie hearing the audio and see how differently I feel about I thought it was okay. I thought it was a little contrived. And it was all right. It got me through the flight. So that was fine. One other thought. So I earlier was complaining and griping more than I should have, about what a rough winter this has been. There's an upside to it. So my wife and I are entering a new season of life. We've been called to ministry. My full-time job recently went away. So we're, we're waiting to see where he's going to put us. I should convince my wife that she should start her own soup company. I'm here to tell you. She only makes soup in the winter. She just she, she feels soup is a winter thing. So it's been a rotten winter, which means... A lot of opportunities for her to make soup. It can't just be me. I think everybody will love her soup. I should just try. I'm, I think she's listening this afternoon. Honey, I'm just telling you. You know, it's a new season, new opportunities. Take a step out in faith. And yeah, I mean, you know, I could I, I, I could be the um, quality control guy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you do know what I'm saying. Well, I'm just saying. All right. Now, this. So, as I'm sure you are aware, President Donald Trump has called a national emergency to deal with securing the southern border, his wall. Interesting story by Craig Gilbert in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Wisconsin Republican lawmakers uneasy with Trump's emergency declaration. U.S. Representative Jim Sensenbrenner calls it a dangerous precedent. Senator Ron Johnson says it represents a pretty dramatic expansion of presidential power. Mike Gallagher says it will further undermine Congress's much-diminished capacity for legislating. Those comments from Wisconsin lawmakers reflect the deep unease of even some Republicans in Congress with Donald Trump's decision to use an emergency declaration to, con- to fund the construction of a wall at the southern border. Democrats, of course, universally oppose it. But the move has caused division within Trump's own party, writes Gilbert on Capitol Hill. Republican lawmakers largely support the wall, and they're under political pressure to stand behind the president. In other words, yeah, uh, most rank-and-file Republicans in the House and Senate are okay with the wall, or at least certainly okay with beefing up the security on the southern border. But they really don't like many don't like the idea of how the president is doing this. And, as Gilbert writes, they're under political pressure to stand behind the president. But by declaring a national emergency to free up funds that Congress explicitly declined to appropriate, Trump has essentially bypassed the legislative branch and its power of the purse, raising at least two big alarms among conservatives. So, yeah, here's, here's what they have an issue with. 
One, the executive branch is further encroaching upon the powers of the legislative branch, which was a frequent complaint among Republicans during the Obama presidency. And I had an everyday talk show back then, and I complained of that. And I continue to complain of that. It was a, a overreach. It was extra-constitutional was the word that I used. What Trump is doing goes far beyond that. And it should give Republicans pause. The other, of course, is that a future Democratic president could use the same tactic to pay for a liberal policy priority that Congress has refused to fund. Think climate change. Think gun control. Incredibly dangerous precedent. Sensenbrenner calls the maneuver a Trojan horse, saying that if it is accepted by Republicans under a Republican president, it will be used in the future by Democratic presidents to circumvent a GOP Congress. It absolutely will. You know, this is where situational ethics are dicey. However you feel about increased border security, uh, the, the wall... As President Trump has advertised, uh, look, there, there are things that can be done to fortify security at the border, and I support those. I also support more legal immigration. Uh, absolutely. That's where I'm disappointed in the conservative movement where I think it's gone off the rails. Not only do they want to secure the border, but there are those Republicans who want to limit legal immigration. I think that's a mistake and a significant one. But however one feels about the issue of increasing uh, security at the southern border, when there, why didn't why weren't we comfortable with it as conservatives when it was President Obama? Was it because it was President Obama, or because it was wrong? For me, it's because it was wrong, and quite frankly, I think this is far more dangerous than the. Dangerous overreaches of President Obama. So what's going to happen? How is this going to play out? I have some predictions on that coming up. 243 News Radio WTMJ. Two forty five News Radio. WTMJ. Jerry and for Jeff, we were talking about the emergency declaration by President Trump. And is it a good idea? No, I don't think it's a good idea. I think it's dangerous. I think whatever you feel about the issue, we have to understand why we didn't like this when President Obama did these sort of things. And it's also why you are seeing members of the Republican members of the Wisconsin congressional delegation uh, have an issue with this. Senator Brenner, I think, has it exactly right. Mike Gallagher had a series of tweets on this. Ron Johnson, who chairs the Senate Homeland Security Committee, said on NBC's Meet the Press Sunday, Past Congresses have given any executive, any administration, way too much power. And this would be another expansion of that power. 
That's why you see an awful lot of us concerned about this. Here's what you are probably going to see happen. Because you do have this concern. You are likely going to see, now what happens is there's a resolution where Congress can, can reverse this. Congress can vote to say, no, you're not doing this. The House will do that, because Democrats now have a majority in the House. It is believed that Republicans are also going to pass it in the Senate. It is believed that's going to be the case, that there's an, enough discomfort here, that enough Republicans are going to go along when I say pass it, the resolution to stop this. Well, then, of course, President Trump can veto this, and he has already promised that he will veto that resolution if it passes the House and enough Republicans go along in the Senate. That's, that's just going to happen, more than likely. It may not, but more than likely it will, just from the number of Republicans you're hearing from. Well, all right, then... President Trump is going to veto it. What happens then? See, now there are those who are speculating. All right, here's, here's what the media has been focusing on. Mitch McConnell cannot stop the vote in the Senate. He can't. He cannot do that. However, there are those that say he is not required to bring it up for a veto override vote. That would be fascinating. That would be an amazingly fascinating thing to see. What would happen if he said, no? Now, HotAir.com had an interesting piece on this. So it really is going to depend on by how many votes, again, one assuming the resolution passes on the first vote in the Senate. We don't know that. But let's just say that does happen. Let's say it's... 55 votes. Well, then, because if McConnell is not, in fact, required to bring it up for a veto override, and it pretty clearly appears that he's not, then he can just say, look, this is a waste of time. We're not going to get to 67 when 55 voted for it the first time. Why would I waste my time with a veto override? We aren't even close. And that would fly. However, what if, and this is and hotair.com walked through all of this, and it's really fascinating. So what if thinking, well, McConnell won't bring it up for a veto override vote anyway, so I can go ahead and vote for it, and then 67 do vote for it. Well, then, how would McConnell say, yeah, no, we're not going to do the veto override vote? I think it would just be fascinating to see how that plays out. But this has nothing to do with liking or disliking President Trump. This has to do with being consistent and not have your beliefs be convenient. This is what you're seeing right now both political parties in America deal with as you have extremist leftists who are coming up 
And it's going to be very interesting to see how that polls uh, the eventual presidential nominee, Democratic nominee, to the left. But you really have the same thing going on there. Dangerous is dangerous. And no matter how important you feel the wall is, once you cross this line, there is no going back. There just simply isn't. It is incredibly dangerous. It doesn't matter. This was exactly the logic that President Obama supported. Wow, look, we, you know, Congress won't get this done, you know, dealing with the dreamers. And I, some of us disagreed with that, not on policy, but on the way in which President Obama did it. Policy is the secondary issue here. The danger this creates in the future I'm with Jim Sensenbrenner, Mike Gallagher, and other Republicans, including Ron Johnson. This is dangerous. By the way, none of them are Trump bashers. None of them are never Trumpers. None of them. And yet they see the inherent danger here. 252 News Radio WTMJ.